Welcome to the Check After Five podcast, and I'm here with my friend Scott Pfeiffer, and we are lucky today because we are sitting in the room with Harold Hughes of Bandwagon fame, and I've gotten to see Harold do a lot of different stuff, and I thought this is just the right cat for us to bring in and talk about. Here is a guy who's jumped out of corporate America and is off building a thing of his own. Harold, you are what we're trying to do with Tech After Five. I Thank appreciate you for that. talking to us. No, I'm excited. That's awesome. Yeah. So... Just the quick overview. I mean, I could describe bandwagon, but of course, you've been through some iterations. Just give us, you know, the quick pitch of where you are. What is it today? What's it look like? Yeah. So, uh, bandwagon is a sports analytics company that focuses on connecting fans with their favorite team or favorite artists. And you think about that simply as put simply put as if you buy a ticket from StubHub or Vivid Seats or Ticketmaster, uh, in a lot of cases, the team doesn't know you're actually sitting in the venue. And so uh, you're disconnected. You're not getting the marketing message. You're not being offered the products and services on game day. And because of this you know, disconnection, uh, there's a lot of opportunity for fraud. You know, There's a lot of fake tickets floating around on the marketplaces. And so what Bandwagon does is we've got a database solution that lets teams, artists, and event organizers manage their tickets, uh, understand the fans that are sitting in the venue on the day of the event and really connect deeply with each of them. So when you're doing that, how does, I mean, who's the customer for that, right? Who's paying, who's paying bandwagon? Yeah. So our customers, um, we're a B2B company. We have a SaaS solution, so software as a service, and we are paid by teams as well as ticket companies, as well as you know, festivals or event organizers. So for the average user listening to this, you won't need to know that we're involved with your favorite team. Uh, your experience doesn't change when you open up uh, your app or decide to buy online. The, what we do in the background is tie multiple databases together. So uh, simply put, um, StubHub's going to have a data list of customers they sold to. Ticketmaster's going to have a list of customers they've sold to. And if a team only has an exclusive relationship with one of those, that means that everyone who bought on the other one is not seen by the team. They're invisible to and, them. Exactly. So they call it, they call them ghost fans. And so what we've done is is actually played, created a platform that allows us to talk to multiple ticket marketplaces so the team gets value and visibility into who's in the venue and the ticket marketplaces get value and visibility into knowing the tickets that they're selling are real and authentic, uh, genuinely created by that event organizer and eliminating ticket fraud in that way. So is that the primary thing that you're trying to do is help them eliminate ticket fraud? Well, ticket fraud, it turns out, it depends really on what your product is. For some people, uh, they just want to get more butts and seats. And so by knowing who's in the venue today, that really allows them to say, this is our target demographic. Or these are the folks we need to try and get more folks in, in the seats. Uh, the ticket fraud just ends up being a positive externality of it when we say, if I know that you, Phil, own this key, then if anyone not Phil tries to use it, we're going to say, no, this isn't your this isn't your, your key. And so you think about the same way in ticketing. Um, but unfortunately, because there isn't one central record or decentralized record as we use, there's no way to know whose ticket this is. So we just say, well, this ticket was presented at the gate. I guess that the person who presented it is the person who owns it. No one has that true manifest of what well, was originally started here and it sold here and sold here and sold here. So what we want to do is create transparency into who owns actual digital and physical assets so that we can know who doesn't own them and eliminate the counterfeiting component of that. Now, you've iterated from your initial idea from for bandwagon to this by talking right. to customers and finding out what they really need. Isn't that right? Yeah, definitely. And that was one of the things like th this came out of a idea I had as I was finishing up my MBA at Clemson University in May of 2014. And the gist of it was, 
I had been working in the MBA and was almost done. And in my last course, I was taking strategic management. And the concept of that was, you know, you review case studies on entrepreneurs. So it's Google and it's 1999. You know, do you sell your company to Yahoo? And, you know, basically decision making as an entrepreneur. And as we were going on, I felt, man, I'm able to make these decisions pretty well, but I'm not in a position to. You know, I work in corporate America and, you know, was like, well, if I was going to start my own company, what would I be interested in? And the number one thing I thought of was connecting with people. I'm a huge connector. Anyone that I know, I'd like you to know, and I'm happy to make those to bridge that. But also, I really love sports. I think the sports uniquely connects people together, regardless of your, you know, um, religion or race or socioeconomic status. If your star quarterback scores a game-winning touchdown, you're hugging and high-fiving that stranger next to you, regardless of those differences. And so uh, I really wanted to create something that created a better atmosphere from a ticketing standpoint because I saw that the you know adoption of the secondary market was creating like a checkerboard in the stands, um, especially in sports. It's different in concerts because everyone's rooting for that one artist. And so really that's when we started as a ticket company. So Bandwagon in its first iteration in 2014 was a secondary ticket marketplace similar to a StubHub that allowed a fan to protect home field advantage by reselling a ticket to another fan. And so as we were uh, getting users, we were generating revenue, things were going really well. We said, man, this is awesome. Like, you know, we're generating $8,000, $10,000 a month with one fan base. Let's try and get to 10. And so we asked uh, 3,000 users. We walked around pen and paper um, in 90-degree weather in, uh, in September in the South and said, hey, what would make you more likely to change your habit from StubHub or the places you currently buy and use us instead? And the number one thing that we got back from them was, yeah, if you could tell us who we we're going to be sitting next to, I'd absolutely do that. And so we went home like any scrappy group of entrepreneurs and tried to find an API to just throw on this uh, on our website and say, okay, someone's probably built something. We just want to know who's actually there. Couldn't find anything. Then we talked to the team. I said, well, surely, you know, the teams will know who's in the venue. Well, no, we only know the percentage that buy from this one channel. And I was like, oh, my goodness. So we we need to build the thing that we need to build our thing. And so we looked at it and said, well, in building this identity management platform, we said, well, what if that's the product? That can be used, you know, beyond, you know, college football is really the only market I was looking at protecting home field advantage. Professional teams are pretty transient towns. Concerts don't work the same because, you you know, you're selling to whoever. But the identity management piece is important, whether you're an artist trying to figure out, you know, if you're in a small town and you want to do some intimate playing, you know, how many of your fans do you have living in that town? Do you understand that connection with them? And so we pivoted and said the opportunity is actually in the B2B component of this. The opportunity is actually in the fan identity and management part of this. And really, you know, just doubled down and and, and, and took a risk. And, and so far, it's paying off. That's great. Now, you had already raised some money before you pivoted. Isn't that right? Right, right. I know when we had John Warner on, he talked about, the ability to pivot after raising money and how important it was to keep an open channel of communication with your investors to, right. so that they would come along with you. And he said they will as long as they know. Talk right. a little bit about how you how you manage that. Yeah, I think that one of the things early on with startups, you know, raising money. So in the beginning, we bootstrapped it. We bootstrapped it for 11 months when we first got started. But then, we, you know, we knew that we were going to need to raise some outside funding building a software company. And the number one thing we focused on was the fact that, you know, our first investors were our first customers and I was the product. And that's pretty much how we approached it. Uh, I made sure that they were writing us a check because, you know, they wrote us a check because they believed in me. And our vision, our ability to execute, regardless of if we said 
you know, we're going to open up the best ice cream shop or whatever um, because of how often we communicated and how transparent we were about seeing opportunity as well as challenges. Um, we were expecting them to say, OK, yeah, we're, we're with you. So we, we didn't expect pushback and we didn't get much pushback. You know, you uh, talked a little bit before uh, now about the fact that you're doing a an equity crowdfunding campaign. That's a it's kind of a new thing. This mm-hmm. equity crowdfunding has only been right. around since the Jobs, Act, the Jobs and Act, and you had to wait several years for regulations to come out. So it's really only a couple of years old. Right. Uh, I don't know that I know anybody else who's actually done an equity crowdfunding campaign. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about the steps to get that going? And yeah, working? absolutely. So first off, I'll set the stage and saying, um, if you look at the way that you know governments are involved in consumer spending or individual spending, uh, they don't tell me that, you know, I can only buy five packs of bacon or they don't tell me that I can only buy two lotto tickets a month. Uh, But for some reason, we're regulating uh, investing in startups. And I think that's really unfortunate in that uh, you think about startups as the opportunity to really flip the switch when it comes to generational wealth and really changing, uh, you know, your tax bracket to a significant extent. And so that's my strategy and looking at this and seeing that startups are going to be the the real vehicle that allows us to uh, really change our position economically. And so that was a huge thing for me when I thought about equity crowdfunding. It's like, how do you you know, give people the opportunity to invest in the next Snapchat or Facebook or Apple or Google. And so uh, equity crowdfunding is different from, you know, Kickstarter, as, as most people have probably heard of. And that in Kickstarter, though most of the products are physical products and they say, hey, if you give me $100, I'm going to give you, you know, one widget that I'm trying to build and you're paying, you know, a fraction of the cost it'll be when it gets to, to retail. Some people are, you know, giving away shirts and T-shirts and trying to figure out ways to get enough money to build whatever their idea is. With equity crowdfunding, instead of you getting these t-shirts and all this other tchotchkes, uh, the thing you're actually getting is equity into an early stage company. And so uh, the process to it was incredibly arduous. Uh, It took us probably about two and a half months. You're filling out SEC forms and uh, filing things with attorneys and having to have third party reviews of your accounting and finances. Uh, And so it was a very intense process. It took us about two and a half months. And that didn't even get into the beginning of creating the content and really focusing on engagement. And so- um, that's not the marketing part. That's yeah. The compliance That's the compliance part, part of the it. Problem at the beginning. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So that you know, it's really important, and and I get it. They want to make sure folks are educated and they get as much of the risk information as possible. Uh, but I think that now that we're on the other side of it, that it makes a lot of sense and say, yeah, we want to go to people. And not only does it turn people um, and give people opportunity to invest in these uh, companies they probably normally wouldn't get to, but also for the company side, it helps you create a little uh, army of uh, supporters. And so we we see this as folks jumping on the bandwagon wagon, you know, literally and metaphorically in that they're able to support us and see what we're learning, see what we're doing and evolve with the company as it goes. And it really helps us really get perspective introductions to different places we might not have. Yeah. I kind of think that, that is not, I mean, this equity crowdfunding is one of those things that's really not for everybody. Right. Because I mean, they, you have a, have to have a, you've got a certain level of sophistication. I don't think that the normal guy on the street is ready to go through that paperwork. Right. And so that's well, that's part of why. So our partner in this is a company called Republic. So their website's republic.co. The gist of it is, is that they want to make sure that we get it from Wall Street to Main Street and into the homes of these folks who are saying, you know what, this is a pain that I've actually felt and I will put $100 in or I will put $20 in or whatever the minimum is. And so it's important to uh, kind of demystify this thing about what is it to own a stock? What is it to buy and invest in a startup uh, to where we're actually encouraging people to say, listen, you, if you can read this document, you can make a decision and say, 
I'm willing to risk this $100, and if it doesn't come back to me, that's fine. But it's an opportunity to, A, see something come to life that didn't previously exist, and two, for me to be on the inside of it. And so we see uh, companies on that platform raising a million dollars. And so we're looking forward to seeing where we end up with it as we just launched it a, a few weeks ago. Yeah. So for you, when people are investing in, in that through that platform, what are you said 20 bucks, 100 bucks? Is that really kind of typical? Is that yeah. what people are doing? Yeah, our average right now, I think the average person's investing somewhere around $372. Yeah. Uh, so you've got some folks who put in a thousand, some have done more, some have done closer to a hundred. Um, and so, yeah, we, we've seen that the average is just over 200, 250 bucks on the platform across multiple campaigns. I've got to believe that at that level for these cats, right, this is also primarily signaling behavior, right? They believe you, they like what you're doing, they think it's a cool idea. And again, at the risk level here is not high, right? I mean, people are not right. putting in their life savings right. to get this done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's the key to it is, you know, there's some really cool and diverse projects. I mean, you've got us using blockchain to help. Uh, eliminate ticket fraud. And then on the other side, you've got someone that's helping um, freelancers find work. And on the other side, you've got uh, artificial intelligence uh, company. And, and, you know, another one is a skincare company. So there's really, really a wide array of things that you can be interested in. And if you put $100 here and $40 there, you really start to see the opportunity. One of the biggest things I see value in is, uh, let's say that you've got a background in manufacturing. You live here in South Carolina. And so you know a little a thing or two about this certain space. And then a company you find online is raising money in that same space. That may be your opportunity to say, hey, listen, I'm going to invest you know, $500, $1,000 just so I can see what this company is up to. And that's where you may see, man, I want to go work for this company. Or I have introductions that may help this company get to this next level. And so I think that's a good opportunity to, in a vehicle, to kind of create connections with uh, these startups is with everyone, really. Yeah. You know, uh, will I think it's Yuval Noah Harari in his... Uh, Homo Deus book, doesn't he talk about that that effect of once you've made a decision, then you want to evangelize that decision? There's like a psychological um, a psychological thing in people's heads. You know, I've done this. I've made this decision. Now I really want it to succeed. So I'm going to I'm yeah, going to push gonna, it. I'm going to help it. And I, of course, right. they're going to tell other friends is what you're kind of getting. That's what I'm getting. At. So I think you know, right. that's the bandwagon effect you're yep. talking about. Once I've put my hundred dollars in, I don't want to look foolish. Right. So I'm going to go out and try to make this company a success. Exactly. And you really bought brand ambassadors exactly. very inexpensively. Exactly. They're paying you. Exactly. Exactly. And so we've been fortunate to have um, a lot of different folks, uh, whether it's uh, you know other entrepreneurs who know the struggle that we're in, uh, to folks who are retired, to PhDs, to students. So it's really been cool to see the different folks who are getting in. And like I said, I think we'll end up with a few hundred investors and see what ends up happening by the end of it. Yeah. So what a great set. So for you, then, what's the next step for Bandwagon? Where are you taking this? For us, I think it's really important to look at um, the technology and see where we fit best. And what we wanted to do was we didn't want to be a product looking uh, for – we didn't want to be a solution looking for a problem. Uh, we really wanted to identify where the problem exists. And the number one problem we find is that teams and event organizers don't know who's in their venue. That's the statement. And because they don't know who's in their venue, they don't know who shouldn't be there, right? People that – probably have some uh, bad intentions. They also don't know who to market to and say, thank you for coming out. We'll come back again. They also aren't able to figure out the preferences. 
man, looks like our beef sales are down 10%. Well, you didn't notice that over the last 10 years, the demographics of your stadium are changing to where people may be moving off of meat and going to a different um, dietary uh, dietary style. And so it's really understanding uh, the person who's in the venue to really change that. So for us, the next step is really looking at uh, our solution beyond just sports. Uh, we're looking at the festival space as well as some conferences, but also looking at um, the ways that we can advance the technology. We're using uh, blockchain, which most people probably associate with cryptocurrencies, but there's a lot of different solutions that can actually be used with the blockchain. And so for us, I think it's really educating people on the multiple use cases and really trying to figure out um, how we can get folks into the fold of, you know, trusting your information, being able to verify, but also maintaining your ownership and keeping it private. Why is why is blockchain part of your solution? I mean, what is it doing that you couldn't do some other way? Yeah, so the, the gist and most important piece of the, the blockchain that we're using is that um, it really helps add trust where they're in a trustless environment. So you're adding trust in a place where folks don't necessarily you know, want to trust each other. So you think about it from a ticketing standpoint. In any scenario, would Ticketmaster want to send their customer information to StubHub to validate that the tickets that are being listed are real? No, and vice versa. But with the blockchain, what we're actually able to do is say, hey, listen, we're going to create these business rules. Rule number one, any ticket company can upload their information knowing that they will be the only ticket company that can see that information from a customer standpoint. Then number two, you say, okay, but as a ticket company is participating in this network, you're able to have instant validity of if a ticket is listed on your marketplace, is it listed anywhere else? So you don't have to have everyone's information to confirm, was this listed somewhere else? And does anyone else own a copy of this ticket? And so that's the stuff that's really important. And so aside from, you know, everyone using the exact same database with different permissions, uh, the blockchain allows everyone to maintain their current technology uh, and use their current database. And us just say, we built an API that will talk to each of your databases and be able to make sure that your information stays protected and that it's not visible to your competitors, but we're able to create different rules and permissions at the data set itself. I, I got to imagine that those guys, the big ticket vendors are skeptical at the beginning when you approach them with that. I mean, how yeah. do you, how do you convince them? Yeah. I mean, so in the beginning, when we started this, you know, year, year and a half ago, switching to the, the blockchain side of it, and a lot of folks didn't get it and they weren't on it. And so it was interesting, you know, now to see these different companies who are popping up and saying, oh, we're going to use blockchain. It's like, OK, so we, we've got a little bit of a head start there. Um, but for us, it's really convincing. It's, a, it's kind of a, a two way street or a chicken before the egg. We have two value propositions for the team. The value prop is we'll let you know who's sitting in your venue, regardless of where that fan bought the ticket. There are dozens of places to buy tickets. Uh, on the other side, it's to the ticketing company. We're going to make sure that you know that the tickets that are listed on your site are real before you sell them. We're going to make sure that uh, you know who the owners of those tickets actually are so they're not being scalped or counterfeited and that you know that there aren't any restrictions on your ability to transfer them. And so you got to kind of get one or the other. We're focusing on getting the teams first and then going from that team and saying, hey, we, we met with an executive at a team uh, in June, and he said that they know 4% of the people who are in their venue on the average day, four. Wow. And so for us, we said, okay, well, if we sign this one ticket company, we can go take you from four to six. That's 50% increase. And so that's where we'd sign the team, and then now the goal is to go to the ticket company and say, all right, we now have the ability to validate the information from this source. If you want to join with us, sign up, and then we'll go from, okay, great. Now we have that one ticket company for all their tickets, and then we go to the next team and say, hey, 
we've already got this ticket company. They'll give you this much of your, and then we go back down to the other ticket companies. And so it's a chicken or the egg that we've had to kind of create into a cycle. And that's really the approach we're taking is starting with the asset creator um, first. Do they get it? I mean, as yeah. you're doing this, you think they're, they yeah. understand what you're up to? Yeah. The, the biggest thing is, is that in, in us building it, we don't want to increase headcount for our partners. We don't want them to have any, um, you know, a more strenuous job. So as we've been building out our dashboard and our product, it's really role specific. If you're the marketing person, there's going to be a way that you interact with the dashboard. If you're a data security person, there's going to be a different way that you interact with it. And so we've been able to simplify it in a way that uh, based on your job function, you're able to understand the value of getting additional data uh, to where you're not just buried by it. The next step for you is taking this to each of those entities and saying, all right, we got a thing here. We think we're solving a problem. You need to help us validate. That. Absolutely. All business development right now, uh, the best kind of fundraising is customers and sales. Right. And so that's definitely what we're focused on right now. Have you had any questions from either teams or ticketing companies about cybersecurity since you're getting data and handling this data? Yeah, I mean, you thought you saw probably just a couple of weeks ago that the PGA was hacked for some of their data. And so uh, the biggest challenge there is that uh, you've got multiple failure points as well as data is being transferred in these different ways. And so part of the uh, value of us using blockchain and using you know, cryptographic security is the uh, extra level of security and in the fact that um, because of how you can build in smart contracts and make rules for consensus, you can make it to where, you know, this ticket isn't just counterfeited or hacked and created again. And so, yeah, we, we see big value there and teams are starting to understand that uh, you've got to find another way to increase uh, security aside from your standard two-factor authentication or something like that. So you've been on quite a journey here, pulling this thing together. One of the things that I've seen is, and you've talked about, you know, you've had to make changes as you've gone along the way. Yeah. How do you, how do you understand when, you know what, I'm at a pivot point. I mean, what are the signals you're using to just make that decision? Yeah. I think in the beginning, uh, you really want to be focused on solving a problem. Uh, we had a meeting yesterday with a professional sports team and through the meeting, uh, the guy said, you know, what would be interesting is this, we have a problem doing this thing. And you know, that'd be interesting if y'all could solve it. And and as a startup who's, you know, looking for their first customer or the second customer is it it's very easy to be like, oh, well, yeah, we could do that. And we'll just go build a solution to that. But you can get distracted by it. So I think the most important thing in the beginning is to be really focused on what it is, that it is what it is uh, that you're trying to deliver, what problem you're trying to solve. And as you're talking to different customers looking for uh, who's going to be a good fit, you're going to hear the same things and maybe some different things over and over. And that's where you have opportunity to uh, reset and say, are we approaching the right problem? Are we using the right approach? And so that's why I think it's important when you think about pivoting or even changing strategies is that uh, sometimes folks get married to a decision. Uh, I heard the saying, like, don't fall in love with a mistake because it took you so long making it. Um, and so you, you want to make sure that just because you made a decision and you, you know, put a lot of energy and resources in that decision, that doesn't stop you from saying, hey, guys, we need to change courses here. And so that's what's really been important for us is saying we're really transparent with our investors and say, hey, look, we really believe that this was going to be the opportunity for us to solve. But we took a step back after talking to thousands of customers and all these different B2B companies. And it actually looks like this. And if we open this up, we actually have opportunity into Formula One racing and NASCAR to uh, Broadway uh, performances. We think about, you know, the Peace Center here in Greenville actually just had to send out an email on all the social media telling people, hey, this is the only website to buy real tickets. The, they aren't on sale or they are on sale. And so counterfeiting happens or any ticketed live event. And so we're really trying to figure out, well, 
because of that, we have a, a pretty large market now, even globally. We've submitted proposals uh, in Dubai as well as Jamaica uh, because customers are saying like, yeah, we have this pain point. And so being flexible enough to uh, make that decision is one thing, but being able to make sure you've got a galvanized team and investors and advisors, supporters to say, yep, we trust you. We understand that you probably assess the risk in the best way possible. And we want to be behind you to help you, you know, get up that hill. It's really been important. What's the thing that's ahead of you that you're saying, this is where I'm headed. This is what I really want to get done. I know that I'm, I, I feel like I'm. that's my next inflection point. Yeah, I think the biggest thing. So the next inflection point and the thing that's ahead of us, two, two t- different things. The, the thing that we're trying to get to at the end of the day is, um, have you seen the little black marker that's at the cash register that they use for $100 bills, the little counterfeit marker? That's what we want to be. We want to be as ubiquitous as that little black marker. No one knows who makes them, but everyone who needs one knows uh, where to buy one. We want to be able to work in the ticketing space with teams, with artists, with festivals, with conventions to make sure that uh, they're able to know with certainty uh, one thing is real and one thing isn't. So that's the future for us. We want to be uh, global in that way. But for us, the next uh, milestone that we're really targeting to is assigning that next customer. Uh, We've been able to prove out our solution with our first customer, Sacramento State, moving them from 0%, knowing no idea who's showing up for their baseball games through our eight-game pilot, giving them four. 48% of the people. So that's being able to say, hey, listen, this person came through the gate and, oh, by the way, they prefer baseball to football. And, by the way, they love your concessions. And, by the way, this and this and this. And so by doing that, it's been really important for us to say, how do we find that next one? And then the next one. So it's really getting the logos early on right now so that we can continue to do uh, more of a, a sales valuation and validation in these various industries we're targeting. So it's not just um, knowing who's coming, but it's actually providing sort of big data on mm-hmm. that person that allows yeah. the company to really know who's there and how to market to them. Right, exactly. Because we think about this, I mean, you think about sponsorships being the lifeblood of most any sports organization or some of these live events. If you don't know who's sitting in that venue, how can you properly price an in-stadium activation? So if your season ticket holders are one demographic, but the people who show up are a completely different one, well, the sponsorship that you sold for your game day activations are probably going to be a miss. And therefore, that brand is not going to get the most value out of that uh, sponsorship. And you may not get to renew it or you may not be able to see the right uh, activation that you want. So I think it's really important to make sure you're not only knowing who's there, but some of their preferences and some of the things that really define uh, what will make their experience much, much better. The teams can take that solid information you're giving them and go to their sponsors and say, hey, now we can really show you who's in these seats and maybe get more money. Right. And to that same point, sponsor, you know, and yeah, and teams can say, you know, the sponsor, yeah, hey, you guys really love these types of fans. We've got 100,000 of them captive for three and a half hours every day. What do you want to pay for that? So we, we think that's really important. So in this, I've seen that, you know, you're building different kinds of networks for what you're doing, right? I mean, you have people who are potential customers to you. You've got people who are potential investors. you got folks who are just supporting as you sort of go along, both socially, emotionally, intellectually, team, that that kind of stuff, education-wise. I'm curious about how you, you know, what are the tools you are using to go out and build your network so that you've got those people right. You've got to find customers. You've got to find investors. They don't just show up. Yeah, no, I agree. I we're um, or at least me. I'm I'm a big Twitter user. I'm a big Twitterer, uh, and so I enjoy it. I think that it's found uh, a way, or it's created a way for me to get connected with people I'd probably never even meet. Our first customer, the reason that we have them is through Twitter. Uh, the guy was on a podcast that I was interviewed on. I was listening to the podcast and he posted something, a quote from it. 
And so I was like, hey, I just listened to your podcast. Uh, would you mind for me to come visit? I'm in San Francisco. You're in Sacramento. Now, for, you know, unfortunately, I thought that San Francisco and Sacramento were much closer, closer. to each other. Yeah. They are not. <laughs> so, you know, I committed to like a two and a half hour drive. And yeah. so he's like, yeah, come on by. Unfortunately, it just went really well from there. So I'm a big fan of using those types of uh, platforms to get connected. But from there, I'm a huge podcast person. Listen to a lot of podcasts, Tech After Five, um, listen to The Pitch, listen to Startup and all these different ones to where uh, my, you know, release or you know, entertainment or guilty pleasure is just taking a second and away from my company, just listen to what other people are building, because there's nothing to me that's more motivating than hearing like the awesome stuff that people are still building today. You know, I was telling someone yesterday, you know, all the great things, great inventions are, have already been created, you know, internet and telephone. But at the same time, you listen to these podcasts and you're just like, nope, completely wrong. This other thing's coming out and this thing's coming out. So I really love that. On top of it, definitely reading as much as I can. But it's one of those things where, you know, from a we're wired to go be successful, then give back. That's kind of what the traditional model's been. But for me, I've really preferred to do the, you know, lift as you climb kind of thing and really give back as much as I can during. Because even if I'm two blocks ahead of someone, I can let them know about a pothole in the street or a, a light that's out to help them kind of, you know, navigate their way in a smoother process. One of the things I've noticed about what you're doing is you've been really great at getting press for what you're doing, right? Your publicity side of that has just worked out really well. I mean, what do you attribute that to? How do you get that work done? Because it is not, you know, that is a question we get all the time. I mean, it's like, hey, I'm out here working in the dark. No one knows what I'm doing. I'm invisible when I would like for people to know what I'm up to. But you've been really good at showing up in all the right places, I think. Yeah. And it's been important for us to uh, to do that. Uh, we didn't necessarily have a big marketing budget. And so we said, well, let's demonstrate value. Let's create stuff. And you think about it, the big difference between, you know, some companies getting press and some not is the fact that one company actually has a product or actually has a customer or actually has, you know, traction to announce. Um, you know, so there's only but so many of those, you know, coming soon type press releases that a person can do. And so we've been fortunate to be able to make, you know, steady progress and, you know, worked with a great uh, PR agency locally called Complete PR. And John Boyanowski and his team really helped us build out um, our messaging and really getting in front of the right people. And so now it's really just a matter of, you know, amplifying what we've been able to do. And so when you look at us turning the crowdfunding uh, investors into folks to help amplify our message and us leaning on Clemson University, my alma mater, to help amplify the message, it's been important to say, hey, listen, let's build stuff. Let's make cool stuff that creates value and people will be interested in it. And that's where we're finding the media is really helping us get our message out to you know potential customers and potential investors and in a lot of cases, even potential uh, team members. I think you're being a little too modest there. No, <laughs> no, man. There's some folks who get way more press than us. And I actually was just telling my uh, uh, one of my team members, Hampton, I was just like, dude, we've got to really turn this thing into overdrive, you know, because we've, we've done a really good job building here in Greenville um, and covering uh, that market. But we haven't gotten press in Columbia, South Carolina. And we haven't gotten press really in Charleston, you know, so we've gotten a couple of national hits. But for us, we're saying, like, if we want to make, you know, bandwagon this company, it doesn't have to be a household name, but it'd be great if it was. And so for us, we're saying, OK, well, whose desks do we need to be on? Whose ears do we need to bend? And in that case, we have been finding the right target so far. Yeah. Well, and I get that. That is a different when you're taking the game into new regions. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just you have to figure out, all right, how do I get to that other level? How do who are those people? How right. Do they find us. But, you know, I felt like one of the things that I see that you're doing is 
you're really sharp in an interview, right? I mean, when someone Thanks. asks you a question, you've got good answers. If the tone and delivery and all that stuff, I mean, I feel like you've thought this through, right? At time or two. Yeah, but but I mean, it's it's a trusted thing. And yeah. You only get that way, I think, through practice. I mean, oh, absolutely. And you just got to do it again. And yeah, again. fortunately, uh, with Toastmasters, it really helped me kind of, that was something I did while I was in corporate America to really prepare myself for uh, speaking in, in certain ways. But for us, we've just been really focused. I mean, it'd be one thing if we had a bunch of different solutions and we're kind of all over the place. We're really straightforward. We want to make sure that fans anywhere have a better game day or event experience. Okay, well, how do we do that? Well, we want to connect them with their favorite teams and favorite artists. Okay, well, well why is that a problem? Well, right now, ticket companies don't talk to each other or to the artist or the team if they're not an official sponsor. Oh, well, how do you fix that? Well, we created a platform that allows us to use blockchain using APIs to tie those different entities together. Cool. What will that do? Allows teams to deliver products and services, better marketing, eliminate ticketing fraud and all kinds of stuff. And you say, wow. So we, we have we've been really straightforward on our marketing message because we've got a really, you know, fixed eye on what we're trying to solve. And, yeah, I, I just uh, love what we're doing. And, uh, we've, you know, this isn't the first time I've said those words. And, you know, you kind of just get into a, a groove of, you know, you explain it to your investors and your team members. But then you got to explain it to mom. And you got to explain it to the person who sees a bumper sticker and all this other stuff. And so you really get into the idea of what words do I have to throw in or take out to help a person understand why I'm trying to build this and what I'm trying to build? Yeah. No. Well, your enthusiasm is contagious. So I appreciate that, that. That comes through. And I think that helps too. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I just, I just, to me, I think that's just one of those things that's sort of baked in and you might, you might not be, but you might be just sort of taking it for granted that your own enthusiasm and vigor for the idea is just everyone's like, heck, I don't even, I don't even understand this. Like, I'm with this cat, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I, th I talk about that um, with my team. Is, you, know, you don't want a team full of, full of Batmans or full of Supermans. You want, you know, maybe you have an Aquaman or whoever in there. And so when I think about the superpowers, Wonder yeah, Wonder Woman, okay. do this whole thing. Yeah, definitely Wonder Woman before Aquaman. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I think about it, and I was like, that may be my superpower. And it's really in being able to galvanize people. I love the book, The Tipping Point. And you've got these different people, the connector and the salesperson. I think about that, and I'm just like, that's really going to be me. I'm going to share with you what I'm working on, um, if only to make sure that uh, if something comes up, you think of me. And that's what happens a lot. You know, I think that's a big um, mistake that entrepreneurs do is they come up with this idea and they say, I'm going to work on this and tinker on it in my basement and not tell anyone what I'm doing. And then when I'm finally ready, I'll offer someone, like, hey, you should check out what I'm working on. And then I ask them to sign an NDA. And that's crazy. You know, yeah. you know, ideas, ideas are a dime a dozen. It's really the execution. So when we started Bandwagon, I said, hey, I'm going to tell everybody this is what I'm working on. And hopefully... Um, they'll be able to not only hold me accountable, but also if I have a blind spot, let me know. And I'll get emails and say, hey, Harold, you may have already thought of this, which is my favorite start to an, an email because that means they're thinking of me. But have you seen this or have you considered that? And I always say no or yeah, but that's really cool that you think that's something to consider as well. Or thank you so much for thinking of me and sending this. So you think about it. The more you tell people what you're working on, you've got smart friends. You've got smart coworkers and family members. You are actually putting really smart people to work for you for free to help give you feedback and ideas on how to iterate and really advance. So uh, that's something that we've really taken advantage of as we've grown, uh, for sure. Yeah, I love that. 
It's like the original cloud computing, really. I mean, you know, it's like <laughs> I've got a whole bunch of processors and ideas and stuff out there in the world. I've got sensors. You know, I love that idea too. Right, right. Well, what can we do for Bandwagon, right? What can, you know, our Tech After Five community or as you reach out into the world, what are you asking the world for right now? Well, I think right now the, the world uh, needs to know that startups are being built in Greenville, South Carolina. And that um, they're tech startups and they're not, you know, they're not your mom and dad or your grandpa and grandma's uh, type of startups. You know, we're seeing all kinds of different uh, technologies being created, whether it's, you know, advanced manufacturing and different stuff of what we're doing in blockchain or health tech. And so that's number one, you know, as a person who's part of the community, I really believe that we need to find ways to better support the startups here uh, in the upstate as well as across the state. But on top of that, uh, I think that taking a look at our crowdfunding campaign makes a lot of sense. Uh, We put together almost 80 pages of documents that are found in the form C when you look on the website. But aside from that, You'll see a little bit about what we're doing in more depth as you like to, but it really gives folks opportunity to see a local startup if they believe in that mission and the problem that's trying to be solved, to take a look at investing in us and also um, really look at the other companies on the platform and find something that really fits you and stick your toe in the water. So I think that's probably the biggest call to action I would have is uh, finding ways to support the local ecosystem um, as early as you can uh, helps us make sure that we maintain, maintain talent and job creators in the upstate and all across the state of South Carolina. Yep. And how do we find the crowdfunding platform? How do you get to that? Yep. So we partnered with Republic. So republic.co forward slash bandwagon. And it'll take you directly to our campaign page. Uh, We've been able to get some great content up there. And uh, you'll learn a lot about us and and why we're doing what we're doing and um, how you can help us do it. You know, that point that you sort of brought up earlier, I think about someone said, you'll never enjoy a horse race as much as you will if you put two bucks on a horse. Right, right. right. Exactly. exactly. This is one of those things, right? Right. I mean, uh, so whether it's uh, this or or at some other company. Right. And what a great way to participate in the community. Yeah. And I definitely think that's important. It's like, you know, if you, if you want to see something come to fruition, I think you should, you know, support people who have dreams and passion and ambition and are taking a risk. And you think about it, you know, I was a corporate America, you know, I'm a first generation American in corporate America because that's what you're taught as a first generation American. You've immigrant parents there, go to school, get good grades, get a good job. Uh, and so the idea of leaving a six figure salary on the table to do a startup and work unpaid for months and years is kind of crazy uh, in the position we're in. But it was important for us to do it. And so far, we've been making the progress that uh, has validated that risk. And we're going to keep doing it and are thankful for our investors and our team members and everyone who's really supported us in, along the way. That's great. Now, if people want to connect with you. You're a self-professed Twitter guy. What's yes. your Twitter handle? Yeah, so I'm at one bandwagon fan. So one spelled out bandwagon fan, and uh, bandwagons on Instagram is uh, bandwagon fan club. And so you can follow me, or you can follow them on uh, Instagram, or follow us on Instagram. And so yeah, we just see a lot of what we're up to. Um, you can see you'll we've got a lot of interesting things coming up in the fall uh, from Meet the Drapers, a television show, to a podcast that'll come out next month. Um, and so we're trying to bring some light to the Upstate and let folks know that you. Know, we're building some cool stuff down here in uh, South Carolina. Super. Thanks, Harold. Thanks, man. Appreciate you guys. All Thanks. right. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. We sure do enjoy putting these things together for you. If you can help us by sharing this episode, if you think this is fun, useful, amazing, 
Put it out to your friends. Let them know that you're listening. Get them involved in it as well. We'd love to have them listen to the show. We'd love to have them and you come to see us at our live events. Hey, by the way, if we're not in a city that you need us to be, how about you think about becoming a host of Tech After 5 in your city? Or are you connecting us with someone who would like to be a host of Tech After 5 in some other city? We are working on a program right this very moment to help other people run a Tech After 5 of their own. And you can find out more about that on the website as well. If you've got uh, feedback or questions, something you'd like to ask us about personal networking, about raising money, about being advancing your uh, tech career, then uh, be sure to use the uh, feedback and questions part of the Anchor FM app. So uh, leave us some voicemail and we will get back. We we're going to put all those together and uh, have an upcoming show where we answer your questions. Thanks a lot for listening to the Tech After 5 podcast. Share us if you can. Thanks a lot. Bye now. My dad wanted to name me Free Beer, but Mom wouldn't let him.